Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hey folks, this is Tom Castles from Broken Healthcare. That's the podcast that strives to examine, diagnose, and propose a treatment plan for our ailing healthcare system. Now, in this podcast, we cover just about everything that causes people pain and suffering, and we do it through these really deep character dives and immersive stories. So when you've finished this episode of Hit Like a Girl, come check us out at Broken Healthcare. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today, we're talking with Dr. Lucy Ide, founder of Remedy, which is a cloud-based software platform that enables personalized management of chronic cardiometabolic conditions across populations. She has had a very interesting professional journey, and we learned a lot from our conversation with her, and we think you will too. So let's get going. Well, thank you for joining us today. We are very excited to have this conversation. We like to talk about how healthcare and health IT is a you know thousand piece puzzle, although these days I've sort of upgraded to it being more like a four thousand piece puzzle. And our journey is really to try to understand each of our parts and pieces and the way that we can contribute. So we would very much like to hear about your piece of the puzzle. And if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to introduce yourself and sort of talk about your journey in what you do now in the healthcare world and a little bit about how you got there. Sure. And thanks for having me. So this is Lucy Ide. I am the founder of Remedy. Remedy is a software company focused on enabling clinical workflows, clinical decision support, and really working towards the goal of personalized management of patients and supporting patients through their journey. So that's what I do today. I started this company back in 2012 and came into this through sort of a wandering, unusual path of starting my career in technology as a physicist, working for the government on communications technologies, Going from there to investing in communications technologies for a venture capital fund, deciding I missed science, went back to medical school, got an MD and a PhD, thinking I would be an academic clinician and run a lab and see patients, and then became really 
interested in the dysfunction of our healthcare system once I got out into it. And so decided to leave clinical practice and start a technology company to contribute in the way I could to making healthcare better. So tell us, what is it y'all are doing at Remedy that is fixing or bringing a solution to the dysfunctional healthcare system right now? Yeah. And I love the way you framed this as sort of, this is this puzzle and we each contribute a piece because I think it's so true with how complex healthcare is that none of us are going to fix it (laughs) individually. It's this collective, you know, if we each do our own part, does that collectively move us all forward? So I I very much share that worldview of healthcare. And really our sort of unique value add is around this sort of, how do we use data to drive better decision-making for individual patients and to drive a better experience of care for patients and for healthcare providers? So we have a software platform that we provide to healthcare systems. So we're a B2B company that sells software to health systems for the most part and really integrate deeply with their electronic health record to interface with that data, merge that with data that may not be in the electronic health record. So what's happening with the patient between visits in the home, in their daily life, how do social determinants of health affect how their provider should be addressing their care plan. And we merge all that data together, provide the analytics around that, and provide decision support around that to help clinicians make you know, evidence-based and patient-centered decisions about patient care more efficiently and make that more scalable. Can you share? I'm interested in did you, your work as a physicist. How does that contribute to your daily life? Can, what was that world like? And like, how long were you in that job? And I don't know, can you just share like, what, what is it like to be a physicist at any point in your life? Yeah, yeah. I still keep that business card, right? Because nobody who studies physics actually thinks they'll get hired out of college as a physicist. But I, so I worked in the intelligence industry, both at the NSA and the CIA as what's called a signals analyst. So I did a lot of signals processing work on communications technologies. And um, that's sort of what I'm allowed to say about that. (laughs) But what's relevant about that, I think, to what I do today is it really created this interest in what data can tell us, right? Data can tell you a story and whether that's that you're trying to you know, decrypt or analyze or sort of reverse engineer data to figure out what story that data is telling you. Or in my, you know, current life, we have this incredibly rich set of health data when we went to electronic health records and went from paper to, you know, digital. And we've unlocked so little of the potential of what that data can tell us about patients. When you think about that limitation, what do you think the biggest hurdle is right now in medicine and in healthcare as a whole? So I'm a big evangelist around interoperability and I think we've made a ton of progress there. But the fact that, you know, not only do we have data in these sort of siloed, disparate systems, but then in the U.S., we don't have any single national medical record. And so I think that's our biggest blocker in terms of like where we all want to get right into this AI-enabled predictive analytics. We know what's going to go wrong with you before you ever have any symptom and we can intervene and prevent that. To get to that end goal, we've got to fix this data problem. And it's, you know, it's multifactorial. It's not just sort of that our records are dispersed against across all sorts of different systems and our records may not match up and this patient matching problem and 
those systems may not be able to speak to each other, right? So we have to sort of chip away at all the different little pieces to that problem. You know, we're talking amidst the COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemic, and I understand that your organization, you included in this, are doing something pretty unique around this problem to help patients and physicians alike. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Sure. So as we thought about, you know, again, what do we uniquely bring to the table in healthcare technology? How can we contribute to supporting patients and health systems through this crisis? Sort of our deep roots in data interoperability and interfacing with electronic health records and bringing data back into doctors felt like the right place. So we have built a, an application that sends questionnaires out to patients to look for signs and symptoms and risk factors for COVID-19. And we're in you know, close communication with the CDC and making sure that we always have the latest evidence and guidance from them and are helping bring that to health systems. You can imagine that piece alone is overwhelming to these health systems that are really being stretched thin and then they're trying to keep up always with the latest guidelines and evidence. So we incorporate that evidence into application we can query the health record and that might be, you know, give us all the patients who have appointments tomorrow and we will send out surveys to all of those patients, making sure that any of them that are showing symptoms of COVID-19, especially the high risk folks that are being identified now through all the analytics, like older people with comorbidities who are immunosuppressed, that we identify them, we direct them so the patient gets immediate feedback on their phone of what their next steps are. So no symptoms, no risk factors. Here are the best practices in prevention. A known exposure, no symptoms. You know, you need to self-isolate for 14 days. But for folks who are showing symptoms, and especially high-risk people who may qualify for testing, sort of getting them to that level of care that helps prevent them from coming into a waiting room with other otherwise healthy patients and potentially exposing them and staff but also for that individual, you know, gets them to the care they need. And then we're picking up from there after we launched this last week and picking up from there and helping these health systems monitor patients who are being told to manage this at home, right? Because we're, we're trying to keep people home who can stay home to try to lessen the demand on our health systems, which are being overwhelmed. But, you know, we've all seen that some patients, especially in their second week, are decompensating. And so, Rightfully, the health system feels some burden of like, we, we told this patient to take care of themselves at home, but that doesn't mean we don't want to keep an eye on what's happening, but we certainly don't have the nursing power to do that. So our technology will sort of keep querying that patient daily, flag back to the health system, people who have worsening symptoms, have rising fever, as well as some of the social determinants. When we ask some of these patients, don't leave your home for 14 days. Well, do they have adequate food? Do they have their usual chronic disease medications? And so we can identify that as well and make sure we get the right resources to them to help with that. I've been really curious, especially at this crazy time, how have you guys, and it sounds like you've done quite a bit, but how have you guys had to pivot? Because it, it sounds like you were already trying to support folks who had chronic conditions but now with COVID entering the picture, you know, how has that ramped up or made you guys kind of change your focus or focus your efforts at, you know, in different directions? So we had a product under development specifically for patient reported outcomes gathering. And so that was already architected and we've been working on it for months that would be interfaced, you know, in the EMR and allow clinicians to sort of send out these, what we call PROs, patient reported outcomes questionnaires and pull that back in 
it was not ready to be released yet. Um, and, you know, we were on sort of our typical product roadmap schedule. So we took that work and, as you said, kind of quickly pivoted that into how can we use this to support the response to COVID-19. The EMR vendors have been great and we've already gotten that approved through Epic and Athena and Cerner and Meditech and others are next gen are all working on it because we don't want to, you know, create new risk around security and patient data just because we're doing something in a hurry. So it's been a pretty busy week, uh, three weeks doing all of that. How has the feedback been from physicians and patients thus far about this tool? What are you hearing from the field today? It, so it's been really positive in terms of patients, you know, our completion rates. So people get a text message with, you know, a note to them from their health system and then this survey link. And typically, if you look at, say, patient portal utilization, that might be in the teens in most places in terms of the number of patients who have a patient portal account for that clinic. And if you look at, you know, open rates, right, on emails or messages that are being sent to patients from their doctor or their clinic, they're, they're pretty low as well. And we've got like 60 to 70% completion rates on these surveys that are being sent out. And what that tells us is that, you know, people are scared. They're worried. They're welcome a message from their own, you know, doctor or health system, sort of proactively reaching out to them. And then on the healthcare side, you know, this is just a resource crunch across the board. So it's not just the ERs and the ICUs and number of ventilators and all of that, but it's sort of all of the operational and administrative staffing around this. And so, you know, whereas typically you might have a case management type role where, you know, nurses and other staff are calling out to patients to check on them or you have an incoming triage line, well, those resources are getting totally overwhelmed. And then patients, you know, are on hold for half an hour plus on the triage line, they give up and they just come to the ER, which is what we don't want them to do because they can get sick by coming to the ER if they're not sick. So, that's been the general feedback from the sort of healthcare system is this is helping us know who really needs our help. It highlights for them the high-risk patients with symptoms who are the first group they need to be talking to. And it sort of automates some of these other people that can be given instructions and good information that can manage themselves. So they've been really grateful for that. It's tremendous to see that the patient engagement is so high and that you guys are able to offer it's such a quick solution to the marketplace. It's alleviating the burden for the clinicians, but also an administrative and an operational level. You know, when we think about that and these community-based providers and all of the ancillary staff that is supporting that system, it's great to hear that you all are identifying those unique needs that I think are often overlooked or can be overlooked in kind of the end-to-end -end approach to these crises. Well, and even, and you know, some of these staff are also being sidelined, right? They've been exposed or they have symptoms. So they're being sent home for 14 days, which is putting further strain on the system. Or maybe they have, you know, maybe they're immunocompromised. And so they're being told by their employer, as they should, that they can't come to work. So we're looking at creative groups like that who we can engage as the end users. They can still support patient care even when they're at home. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt, but we wanted to let you know about a way you can support Hit Like a Girl podcast directly. We've partnered with Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, as a way for us to connect with our listeners and fans in a direct way and ask them to support us so we can continue creating more great content like this episode you're listening to. Patreon.com is not so much of a one-time contribution, but more like a subscription to provide support to independent creators like us. 
Patrons who pledge even just $2 a month give us the stability we need to continue producing podcast episodes. In return for your patronage, we're offering virtual high fives, personalized thank you notes, and even shout outs on our episodes. When you become a patron of Hit Like a Girl podcast, you're supporting our channel directly so we won't be making podcast episodes for some viral audience or for ads. We're making them for you, our listeners. This allows us to focus on topics related to women, healthcare, and technology. With your support on Patreon.com, we're able to spend that time having meaningful conversations and doing more great work that can positively impact the lives of other women in healthcare and tech. So join us on Patreon.com and let's make something amazing together. We talk with folks that are actively creating and providing solutions, which is so inspiring. But one thing we always want to know is that if you didn't have any restraints, like if money wasn't an issue, if you had all the resources and tools available at your disposal, if you essentially had a magic wand and could snap your fingers, you know, what problem in healthcare or health IT would you solve and why? Great question. So, (laughs) you know, I think it's the health equity problem that weighs on me the most, that I find the most frustrating. And by that, I mean, right, that there's just this huge disparity in the U.S. around access to care and the kind of care that people receive based on socioeconomic factors. So, That's a big one, right? Not easy to solve, but I think this crisis actually sort of highlights that, right? When you really have a public health issue like this, the steps we see the government taking around, you know, waiving co-pays for things and providing coverage and addressing emergency medical bills and all these sort of problems that our healthcare system has, a lot of which are tied to access to insurance and health equity like we're quickly getting those out of the way in order to be able to best respond and best treat everybody because we know that if we don't treat everybody for this, then we can't get the overall pandemic under control. So that makes me hopeful, right, that this is sort of a real-life experiment. What if we had universal health care or universal access to health care? And what if the way we delivered health care wasn't sort of dictated by these arbitrary health plans constraints, which often dictate, you know, how often an appointment happens or the fact that it has to happen face-to-face in order to be reimbursed. So I think there'll be a lot of interesting data from this time as we have quickly virtualized care, we've gotten financial barriers out of the way, and maybe that will help inform us on how we get to a more equitable system going forward when this current crisis is over. You know, I think that's a, a really great response. I saw something going around, I think it was someone's tweet that said, you know, the best way to get a, a COVID test these days is to cough on somebody who's rich and see how they, what their test results are. And it's just really unfortunate that, that not everyone has access or the same level of access to really like life altering healthcare. Yeah, and sort of pre-COVID <laughs> and, and still ongoing, we have a community health director and we do some work particularly focused around medically underserved communities. And there are all these barriers that are sort of artificial around why people can't access care, right? They can't get off of work, they don't have transportation, they don't have childcare, they don't have money for parking, whatever it is, a lot of which could be addressed by virtualizing care. And now all of a sudden in this context of COVID-19, in order to open up capacity in the health system, many systems are canceling all standard care and pushing it all virtual. 
And doing so sort of despite the impact on reimbursement, while at the same time working with the government to try to get reimbursement for, for more telemedicine and more remote monitoring. So that would make such a difference if you know we had widespread virtual care, remote monitoring. We could figure out how to pay doctors, not just for like live telemedicine, but for answering patient emails, et cetera. Yeah, I will be anxious to know how much of this policy will be extended beyond the crisis. And if the parity promise, you know, where Medicare hasn't come online and is still 25% lower than, you know, Blue Cross and some of these virtual things, that they can close that gap because this really has been a catalyst to this. But to your earlier points answering the question, there's still so much further to go to help everyone. Yeah. There is so much to know across all of the puzzle pieces of healthcare as a whole. How do you keep up on your own puzzle piece? Where do you go? Where do you look for information? Or what do you read to keep your pulse on other things that interest you? There certainly, you know, is this whole policy aspect that influences our world at Remedy and that is really important to us. And the evolution of that, whether it's how the FDA regulates software platforms or new reimbursement models for remote patient monitoring. So I've gotten very involved in a industry group in Washington called ACT, the App Association, that does a lot of healthcare work and actually sit on their steering committee for Connected Health. That has been a great way for me to stay involved because they send great briefings. They allow us to provide comments during public comment periods where they are sort of getting comments from all of their members or steering committee members and sending that back to HHS or FDA. So I find it easier to stay up to date when I'm sort of actively engaged in the process versus just trying to read about it because there's so many trades and so many places to look. That's understandable. Do you go anywhere to sort of escape? Is there anything that's on your recommended reading list for folks that maybe are are overwhelmed and are looking for a place that they don't have to be thinking about keeping up with everything or just need a moment to get away for for a bit? My escape is sort of my four children. <laughs> that's, that's what helps me keep my sanity is, you know, they sort of that undivided attention that I, you know, try to provide. Someone give me some good advice once upon a time of like 15 minutes of undivided attention per child a day can go a really long way. So that's sort of my personal goal, but it's not just for them. It's for me because in those, you know, when I'm doing something with them, it sort of gives me a mental break from the nonstop thought process around technology and healthcare and what could we do better and, you know, why can't we get this to change faster and all these business things that are constantly swirling in my head. I think that as a mom, I think that that's amazing advice. If people want to find you or connect with you, are you online? What are your socials? What is the best way to do that if people want to learn more about you or the organization? Sure. I am online. I'm on Twitter at Lucienne Ide, L-U-C-I-E-N-N-E-I-D-E, and LinkedIn, same. And then Remedy is at Join the Remedy on Twitter and LinkedIn. So we're pretty active. You can find us there and we'd love for you to follow what we're doing. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. This was a real treat. Thank you guys and stay safe and stay sane during uh, the COVID. Yeah, to you as well. Likewise. All right. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. 
You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon.